seated. Good afternoon. As president of Princeton University, I would like to extend a warm welcome to the graduates of both the class of 1999 and of the graduate school. I would like to welcome as well your families and friends, members of the faculty and other guests. It also gives me great pleasure to welcome back to campus our speaker for this baccalaureate ceremony, the founder and president of the Children's Defense Fund, Marion Wright Edelman. This baccalaureate ceremony marks the beginning of our celebration of this year's graduation. Over the next three days, we will have an opportunity to herald the achievements of this year's graduating students and also pay tribute to all those who have nurtured, supported, and assisted them. This is an important moment of passage. Over the last few years, today's graduating students have been important members of the Princeton community. They have enriched this community and they are about to enter a host of different communities, of family, of work, and of friendship. It is therefore a fitting moment to think about what it means to be a member of a community. In fact, this chapel is a perfect location in which to begin our reflections on community. It is a massive structure, but its Gothic style emphasizes light. The architectural historian and Princeton professor of architecture, William Stilwell, described this feat in his 1971 book about the chapel, drawing attention to the way in which support is created for thousands of tons of masonry comprising the structure. Let me quote to you from his book. I quote, additional stability is assured by the vaulting system over the aisles where tunnel vaults, slightly pointed, ribbed, and mutually buttressing, spring from arches that go from the piers to the aisle walls. The system, developed in the 13th century, of a vaulted ceiling resting on piers and buttresses made it possible to fill the entire wall area with glass." End of quote. Like the strength and stability of this structure, the strength and stability of this community spring from individual resources applied collectively. As friends and classmates, you've undoubtedly had ample opportunity to experience the benefits of mutual support. Princeton has significantly benefited from your contributions, all the contributions you have made to our academic community. And for this, we are grateful to each and every one of you. I hope the support created by this friendship remain with you after graduation and that you will apply the experiences of friendship in building vital communities wherever the next step in your journey takes you. I wish each of you continue your success in the years to come. Thank you. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين 
الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط والمستقيم صراط والذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين Please join me in the reading of the translation. In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful. Praise be to God, the cherisher of the worlds, the compassionate, the merciful, master of the day of judgment. You alone we worship and your aid we seek. Show us the straight way, the way of those whom you have favored, not of those who have incurred your wrath, nor of those who have gone astray. Amen. Please join me in the spirit of prayer. Spirit of the living God, creator spirit, brooding over the chaos, animating form with energy, intersecting darkness with light. We are gathered in this sanctuary place to celebrate the drama and the meaning of this baccalaureate event, this laurel crown this wreath of honor for achievement. The days of trepidation are over. We are set free to claim our strength and to focus our commitment. We are also gathered here to celebrate our various diversities, our differences, our multiple complexities. We live among those whose ways are different from our own, whose faiths are unfamiliar to us, whose morals and mores we cannot accept or comprehend. Teach us to learn that our differences create opportunities for engagement, for understanding, for reconciliation, and for peace. Here and now, beyond our sectarian particularities, we seek to celebrate the common bonds which we have shared together in this place called Princeton, our longing for connection, our search for understanding, our passion for justice. We know that we are under obligation. We want our lives to make a difference. We want this for ourselves. We want this for Princeton. We want this for our world. Hear our supplication, O holy God, and bless us on this day. Amen. Lo Yisa Goy, El Goy Cherev, Velo Yomadu, Od Milchama. Please join me in reading responsibly. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and they that dwell therein. For God has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Ascribe to the Lord heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Worship the Lord in holy array. Clap your hands, all ye peoples. Shout to God with songs of joy. Happy are the people who know the festal shout. 
They exult in your name all day long. Sing praises to God, O sing praises. For you, O Lord, have made us glad by your work. At the work of your hands we sing for joy. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy, stormy wind fulfilling God's command. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds. Rulers of the earth and all peoples. Young men and women alike, old and young together. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise God in the mighty firmament. Praise God with trumpet sound. Praise God with strings and pipe. Praise God with clanging cymbals. Praise God with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Sing praises to God, O oh, sing praises. All praises now be to our God. A reading from the poetry of Joy Harjo. Remember the sky that you were born under. Know each of the stars' stories. Remember the moon. Know who she is. I met her in a bar once in Iowa City. Remember the sun's birth at dawn. That is the strongest point of time. Remember sundown and the giving away tonight. Remember your birth, how your mother struggled to give you form and breath. You are evidence of her life and her mother's and hers. Remember your father. He is your life also. Remember the earth whose skin you are. Red earth, black earth, yellow earth, white earth, brown earth. We are earth. Remember the plants, trees, animal life who all have their tribes, their families, their histories, too. Talk to them. Listen to them. They are alive poems. Remember the wind. Remember her voice. She knows the origin of this universe. I heard her singing Kiowa war dance songs at the corner of 4th and Central once. Remember that you are all people and that all people are you. Remember that you are this universe and that this universe is you. Remember that all is in motion, is growing, is you. Remember that language comes from this. Remember the dance that language is, that life is. Remember.
A reading from 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. And now faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. From the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad. Om Asatoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotir Gamaya Mrityorma Amritam Gamaya Om Shanti 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 O Lord, lead me from the unreal to the real. Lead me from darkness to light. Lead me from death to immortality. O Lord, peace, peace, peace. From the Vedas. You, O Lord, are the body's protector. My body protect. You, O Lord, are the giver of life. Grant life to me. From you, O Lord, comes brilliance of mind. Illumine my mind. Whatever is lacking to my being, O Lord, Supply that to me. From the Taitriya Upanishad. Om Sahana Vavatu Sahana Bhunaktu Sahaviryam Karavavahehi Tejas Vinavadhita Mastuma Vidvishavahehi Om Shanti 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 May the Supreme Lord protect us all. May he cause us to enjoy his creation. May we all work with great energy. May our study become brilliant. May we all live in peace. Peace, peace, peace. Once again, it is a pleasure to welcome back to campus Marion Wright Edelman. Mrs. Edelman has been an advocate for our youngest and most vulnerable citizens for her entire professional career. A graduate of Spelman College and Yale Law School, 
She was the first black woman admitted to the Mississippi Bar. She directed the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund office in Mississippi, then moved in 1968 to Washington, D.C. as counsel for the Poor People's March that Dr. Martin Luther King began organizing before his death. At the time, she testified before the Senate Subcommittee on Poverty about the scenes of deprivation that she had witnessed in the Mississippi Delta and began the work that would lead in 1973 to her founding the Children's Defense Fund. This non-for-profit advocacy organization has become a strong national voice for children and for families. The fund seeks to encourage early investment in children's welfare to assure that they will grow up in economically secure families and communities with access to comprehensive health and mental health services and to early childhood education. Under her leadership, the fund has contributed to major accomplishments in child well-being. For example, in 1975, the fund lobbied successfully to give children with disabilities the right to a public education. In the mid-1980s, as poverty and homelessness increased, the fund's lobbyists won increased Medicaid coverage for poor children. More recently, the fund won bipartisan support for health insurance for five million children with the 1997 State Children's Health Insurance Program. Mrs. Edelman has spent much of the 1990s helping to involve children as advocates through projects such as the Black Community Crusade for Children and the Stand for Children campaign, which brought 300,000 people last year to the Capitol to show their support for children's programs. A core part of the mission of the Children's Defense Fund is to educate the nation about the needs of children. Through its research and reports, through newsletters and advocacy in federal and state legislatures, and through collaborative efforts with community and church groups, this organization helps bring closer to the forefront of the American conscience the importance of caring for the children of today, who will, of course, be the leaders of tomorrow. Ms. Edelman's efforts have been recognized through numerous awards and honors, among them the Albert Schweitzer Humanitarian Prize and the Heinz Award as well as an honorary degree from Princeton in 1993. As is customary when Princeton awards an honorary degree at commencement, Ms. Edelman's accomplishments were recognized in a citation read during that ceremony. I would like to read it here as a tribute to her work, which is so clearly in the nation's service. And I read from that citation. Tireless opponent of discrimination and prejudice, unceasing advocate for children, she believes that laws provide necessary but not sufficient leverage for social change. With passion and intelligence, she has issued a clarion call for a moral reformation based on individual responsibility and has eloquently reminded us of the duties of parenting. She measures us by our commitment to our children, knowing that their success secures the foundation of the new millennium. End of quote. It's now my great pleasure to introduce to you this afternoon, Marion Wright Edelman. Mrs. Edelman.
great honor to share this day of joy with your trustees, with your president and faculty and administration, the families of what I'm sure are, and the graduates, which are the most important and the best class in Princeton's history. <laughs> On April 5th, 1968, in Cleveland, Ohio, following Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination, Robert Kennedy spoke about the mindless menace of violence in America, which he said again stains our land and every one of our lives. It is not, he said, the concern of any one race. The victims of the violence are black and white, rich and poor, young and old, famous and unknown. No one, Kennedy said, no matter where he lives or what he does, can be certain who will suffer from some senseless action of bloodshed. And yet it goes on and on in this country of ours. Since Robert Kennedy spoke these words, he and 925,000 American men, women, and children have been killed by guns in America's undeclared 20th century civil war. Another 560,000 Americans have died violent deaths by other means. Most shamefully, between 1979 and 1996, over 75,000 American children have been killed by guns. That's 20,000 more American children who died from firearms on the killing fields of America than American soldiers died in combat on the killing fields of Vietnam. During this same period, 375,000 American children were wounded by guns in their homes, neighborhoods, and schools. This is 225,000 more child gun wounds than American soldiers suffered in Vietnam. From 1968 through 1996, when the latest data is available, while nearly 1.4 million Americans died violently here at home, fewer than 32,000 American soldiers died in military conflicts in other countries. We Americans were 44 times more likely to kill each other than to be killed by an external enemy. This 29-year death toll of American against American and of Americans who, unable to face life or find love, hope, purpose, or safe haven in their family, community, faith, or democratic civic life, took their own life, is more than three times the number of reported American battle deaths in all the wars of the 20th century. Isn't it time to take our heads out of the sand and find another way to relate to life 
and to each other. As we now should have remembered, gun violence is not just an inner-city black problem, as Littleton, Colorado, Pearl, Mississippi, James, Jonesboro, Arkansas, Paducah, Kentucky, Springfield, Oregon, and Edinburgh, Tennessee, Pennsylvania have shown us again. About half of the over 400,000 gun homicide victims since King and Kennedy lived were white and half were black. Ninety-three percent of the majority of gun deaths were suicide victims, and they were white. Most murders are not committed by strangers, but by family members, neighbors, or acquaintances. But guns have lethalized our despair and anger and turned moments of emotional instability into loss of life. What has happened to us that the morally unthinkable killing of innocent children has become routine not only in Bosnia and Brazil, Rwanda and Kosovo, but in New York City, Detroit and Chicago? A silent, albeit dispersed equivalent of Littleton's recent massacre occurs almost daily as 13 children are killed by guns, a classroom full, every two days. American children under 15 are 12 times more likely to die from guns than the children of similar ages in 25 other industrialized countries combined, according to the Centers for Disease Control. Even our youngest children do not escape violence. Between 1978 and 1979 and 96, three times more preschool children were killed than American soldiers were killed in action. And in 1996, 55 children, 55 law enforcement officers were killed in the line of duty. But this was compared to 1,600, 4,600, excuse me, children. More young black males are killed by guns every year than died in all of the lynchings throughout American history. But where is our anti-lynching campaign to protect our children and all of us today? Now, escalating violence against and by children is no coincidence. It is the cumulative, convergent, and heightened manifestation of a range of serious and too long neglected and denied problems. Epidemic child and family poverty, increasing economic inequality, racial intolerance and hate crimes, rampant drug and alcohol abuse, pervasive violence in our homes and popular culture, and growing numbers of out-of-wedlock births and divorces have overly and overly busy and stressed-out parents have all contributed to the disintegration of the family, community, and spiritual values and supports that all children need. Add to these crises easy access to deadlier and deadlier firearms. Hordes of lonely and neglected children and youths left to fend for themselves by absentee parents in all race and income groups, gangs of alienated inner city and suburban youths relegated to the margins of family, 
school and community life without enough home training, education, purpose, jobs, or hope. And political leadership of all parties and at all levels of government that pays more attention to foreign than domestic enemies, to the rich than to the poor, and to their own political interests rather than the interests of children and families and citizens. And you face what I believe is the social and spiritual disintegration of American society that confronts us today. What are the family values of the richest nation on earth when one in five or over 14 million of its children live in poverty? What must God think of a nation and citizens with an $8.6 trillion economy who lets its children suffer hunger and homelessness, sickness, illiteracy, injury, and death, who have the means but not the will to prevent them? What does national security mean to the millions of children who witness parental and community violence every year and to the million children who are themselves abused and neglected annually? The plain truth is that we have not valued millions of our children's lives and so they do not value ours in a society in which they have little or no social, moral or economic stake or sense of community. Countless youths are imprisoned by lack of skills in inner city neighborhoods where the future means surviving the day and living to 18 is a triumph. And countless youths are imprisoned by affluenza, by too many things with too little meaning, unaware that life is more than an appetite for more material goods and good times. Both of them, often neglected and marginalized by parents in schools and communities, have turned them, themselves first to each other and then against each other in gangs and then against a society that would rather imprison than educate, engage rather than em employ them. Our market culture tells poor children that they must have designer sneakers, gold chains, and fancy cars to be somebody, while denying them the education and jobs to buy them legally. And our rich children have these, though they may find later on that they don't satisfy a deeper hunger for love and attention and for purpose beyond self. So both groups are easy marks for drug dealers and profit-driven gun manufacturers and sellers in pursuits of new markets for their lethal products. The number of children who are victims and who now are becoming victimizers is far too high. And we must make no excuse for youth or adult crime. All these perpetrators must be swiftly and fairly punished. But we must stop the ridiculous and simplistic political demagoguery about critical public safety concerns and deal with our communal complexities. We must simultaneously support both quality and comprehensive early investments in all of our children provide parents the needed parenting skills and help, really honor the most important role in America, and make it easier rather than harder for parents to raise healthy and moral children, 
Make mentoring, tutoring, and recreational programs available to children after school on weekends and during idle summer months. And invest in effective, not cosmetic, political measures to control and regulate guns and ensure safe streets at the local, state, and federal level. There is no excuse for the unbridled trafficking in non-sporting handguns, assault weapons, and ammunitions. You can often get a license to sell guns easier than a driver's license, and many of our children can pick up a gun as quickly as they can, and a book in the library. Our nation regulates the safety of countless products, including our children's toy guns and teddy bears and blankets and toys, but do not regulate the safety of a product that kills and injures tens of thousands of Americans, including children, each year. Why are guns the only unregulated consumer product in America? We must begin to stand up and speak out against the violence and against the guns in a responsible way. What must we do? I think we can all do a lot. But the first step, I think, is to recognize the breakdown in common sense in the, among parents, among all adults, and in community responsibility to protect and nurture children. It is time for us to stop the finger-pointing and the blame game and time for every adult to take responsibility for protecting children and for discouraging violence as a family, community, and national value. Never has America permitted children to rely on guns and gangs rather than parents and neighbors for protection and love or push so many children onto the tumultuous sea of life without the life vest of inner anchors, nurturing families and communities, challenged minds, job prospects, and hope. Never have we exposed children so early and relentlessly to cultural messages glamorizing violence, sex, possessions, alcohol, and tobacco, with so few mediating influences from responsible adults. And never have we experienced such a numbing and reckless reliance on violence to resolve problems, feel powerful, or be entertained. We must begin to encourage nonviolence and to affirm love in our relationship with each other. Second, let's stop the adult hypocrisy and double standards. Today, two out of three black and one-fifth of all white babies are born to never-married mothers. And if it's wrong for 13-year-old inner-city girls to have babies without the benefit of marriage, then it's wrong for rich celebrities, too. And we should stop putting them on the cover of Time magazine or People's magazines. It is adults who have engaged in epidemic abuse of children and of each other in our homes. It is adults who have taught children to kill and disrespect human life. It is adults who manufacture, market, and disrespect human life and profit from the guns that have turned many of our neighborhoods and schools into war zones and the blood of children into profits. It is adults who have financed and produced, directed, and starred in the movies 
television shows and music that have made graphic violence ubiquitous in our culture. It is adults who have borne children and left millions of them behind, often without enough love and attention and without basic health care, quality child care, education, or moral guidance. It is adults who have taught our children to look for meaning outside rather than inside themselves, teaching them, in Dr. King's words, to judge success by the index of our salaries or the size of our automobiles rather than by the quality of our service and relationship to humanity. And it is adults. We have to stand up and be adults and accept our responsibility to parent and protect our young. And third, we must mount together a massive moral witness and mobilization against the violence of guns and poverty and child neglect and intolerance that is resurging in American life. We need the equivalent of mothers against drunk driving to counter the violence in our society. And whether you are a hunter, an NRA member, a gun owner or not, I hope you will agree that child gun deaths must stop and join in calling for and working for effective regulation of guns as the dangerous product that they are. But finally, I hope that we will begin to find ways of caring and reaching out to our own children. I hope you will pay as much attention to your role as parents as you pay to your career, because it will shape the future of this nation far more. And I hope that you will understand that you can't raise your own children without also trying to build decent, safe communities for other people's children. So let me end with a fictional story about one school teacher and one child. The school teacher's name was Jean, was Jean and her child's name in this class was Teddy Stollard. She didn't like Teddy Stollard very much, but school teachers usually get up and tell children how they treat them all equally. And Jean got up the first day in class and said to her children, little boys and girls, I love you all very much. But they sometimes tell white lies, and Jean Thompson really did not like Teddy Stollard. He was a very unattractive child. He slouched in his chair, he didn't pay attention, his mouth hung open in a stupor, and his hair was unkempt, and he smelled. Jean Thompson didn't like him. But teachers have records, and Jean Thompson had teddies. And in the first grade, those records said, Teddy is a good boy. He shows promise in his work and attitude, but he has a poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy's a good boy. Does what he's told, but he's too serious. His mother is terminally ill. Third grade, Teddy's falling behind and his work needs help. His mother died this year. His father shows no interest. Fourth grade, Teddy's in deep waters in need of psychiatric help. He is totally withdrawn. Christmas came and all the boys and girls brought Jean Thompson presents. And they were very nicely wrapped except Teddy's. His was in an old paper bag and had a rubber band wrapped around it. And all the children began to snicker, but Jean Thompson had the good sense to open Teddy's bag and to take out the brinestone bracelet that had many of the stones missing and put it on her arm and hold it up before the classroom and say, boys and girls, isn't it very pretty? 
She also found an almost empty perfume bottle, and she took the bottle, put a bit on her finger, and dabbed it behind her ear. The children, taking their cue from the teachers, calmed down. At the end of the day, when all the children were going out, Teddy stood back and waited at her desk and said to her, Miss Thompson, all day long you smell just like my mother. And her bracelet, that's her bracelet. It looks real nice on you, too. I'm really glad you like my presence. And when he left, Jean Thompson got down on her knees, and she buried her head in the chair, and she asked God to forgive her. The next day, when the children came, she was a different teacher. She was a teacher with a heart, and she cared for all the children, but especially those who needed extra help, and especially Teddy. She tutored him and put herself out for him. By the end of that year, Teddy had caught up with a lot of the children and was even ahead of some. Several years later, Jean Thompson got a note saying, Dear Miss Thompson, I'm graduating from high school, wanted you to be the first to know. Love, Teddy. Four years later, she got another note saying, Dear Miss Thompson, I want you to be the first to know. The university hasn't been easy, but I liked it. Love, Teddy Stollard. And four years later, there was another note saying, Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore J. Stollard, M.D. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know I'm going to be married in July and want you to come and sit where my mother would have sat because you're the only family I have. Dad died last year. And Jean Thompson went, and she sat where his mother should have sat because she deserved to be there. She had become a decent and a loving human being. There are millions of Teddy Stollards all over our nation. Children we have forgotten, given up on, left behind, made a judgment about. How many Teddies will never become doctors and lawyers or teachers or police officers or engineers because there was no Gene Thompson, no you? How many children will never learn enough now to earn a living later because you and I did not reach out to them, decide to teach them, to speak up for them, to vote and lobby and struggle for them? For what shall it profit a man or a woman if he or she shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? I hope as you leave Princeton, that you will stand for children as thousands and thousands are standing in over a thousand events this weekend. I hope you will stand for your children first in your homes. I hope you will agree to think about teaching children, which is the equivalent of our Sputnik challenge of years ago. It's the public schools and the homes of America that will win America's future. I hope you will, as you go out, make sure that you are a witness for justice. Please don't let America lose its soul. Godspeed to you.
on this glorious day, please join with me in the litany of praise and prayer. Blessed are you, sovereign of the universe, who creates life and gives us purpose and hope. Blessed are you, sovereign of the universe, who has given us minds with which to think and hearts with which to love. Blessed are you, sovereign of the universe, who knows that we are human and forgives our sins and our failings. Holy One of Being, who gives meaning to all things. We thank you, creator and sustainer, for the learning and wisdom and the lives that have been formed through this university. Let us offer together a prayer for Princeton. O oh, eternal God, the source of life and life for all peoples, we pray that you would endow this university with your grace and wisdom. Give inspiration and understanding to those who teach and to those who learn. Grant wisdom to its trustees and administrators and to all who work here and to all who bear her name. Give your guiding spirit quiet courage, love and service. Will you stand for the peace, please? Shalom. The peace of God be always with you.
Okay. Please join with me in the dismissal. Lead us from death to life, from falsehood to truth. Lead us from despair to hope, from fear to trust. Lead us from hate to love, from war to peace. Let peace fill our hearts, our world, our universe. Amen.